that he saved me. I'm just so grateful this morning that I'm saved, that my sins are forgiven, that I've been cleansed, I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Man, that, that woke me up this morning, set me on my way. And you know, that's something the enemy can't do anything about. He can't steal the joy of my salvation. Come on, somebody. Jesus has saved me. And I'm, I'm happy about it. Well, it's good to have you this morning. Thank you for visiting. If you're visiting with us, we're so thankful you're here. What you just saw is a video of a project we have called Beyond the Backyard. Our goal is to raise $75,000 a year for these specific ministries that we love. They're all over the world. We love to support them and encourage them and help them in any way we can. Matter of fact, this week, I got to FaceTime with Florian and Mirabella, and things are going great in the church. They actually got kicked out of a building they were in because the building was leased, but now somebody bought it and they've removed them. And uh, God opened up a door literally in the same building for them to go through a door in this building, walk into another building, and it's more space. They don't even have to move out of the building. They can move their stuff basically across into another building. More space, more opportunity for ministry. And isn't that amazing how sometimes you think a door closes and it's over and it's the end and God's just opening up another door. And uh, so we were able to talk to them about that. They've also been trying to adopt a young boy for a little while. And they've been like foster parents and doing that type of thing. And the government over there is a little bit suspect. They've got some issues. And uh, they started telling Florian and Mirabella that they needed them to give some money for some things that they just weren't supposed to give money for. And so in other words, the, the orphanage was trying to manipulate them and get more money out of them for the adoption process. And um, they just weren't having it. And so they've been fighting and, and going back and forth with lawyers and stuff like that, trying to adopt this young boy. And everything kind of went to a standstill. They stopped allowing him to go over to their house and things were not looking good. And just before Christmas, while all of the kids and staff were, no one was at the orphanage, I don't think, maybe a couple people, but they were able to get out. The orphanage actually burns down. And because of that, some of the young people that were there in the orphanage had foster homes that they weren't getting to go to and because the orphanage was being difficult to deal with. So a couple weeks before Christmas, they send this young boy over to Florida Mirabella's house and say, we don't have anywhere to keep him because the orphanage is burned down. So <laughs> they take him over and he has been with them ever since. And they're doing a home study, I believe this week. Um, and they're trying to fully adopt this young boy. And God's just kind of opening doors that it didn't seem like would be able to open. I am not saying God burned down an orphanage. I'm just saying God burned down an orphanage. Nobody was there. It's, it's an amazing thing. And so just keep them in prayer. They love this young boy. He's incredible. I got to see him and talk to him a little bit through the FaceTime. And so we're just, we're just thankful for your giving, your faithfulness. We, our goal last year was $75,000. You guys gave over $90,000, close to $100,000 last year towards that project. And that's incredible because that's not even the only missions work we do around the world. Those are the ministries we're committed to, to support every month. But thousands and thousands of dollars leave this church throughout the year. I believe we were somewhere around 15% of our total income went straight back into ministries outside of this local church. Churches all around the world and ministries, which is pretty incredible. Uh, I, I sit on a lot of 
uh, boards and help oversee some churches, and not many of them uh, are doing that. And so I'm thankful for the opportunity that God has given us to minister to this community. I think here in the next week or so, we're going to show you a financial report. One of the reasons we're able to do that is because our uh, payroll expenses are under 35%. The national average for a church our size is nearly 50%, sometimes more than that. And God told us a long time ago that if we would keep it under that 35%, that he would provide the people we need and the resources we need, and then we could continue to do what we need to do in missions. So thank God. Come on. Thank God for a church that's not top-heavy. And it's not, we don't underpay our staff. Our staff is paid very well. They all have full benefits and insurances and all of that stuff. And so God is taking care of them. But I just am thankful to be a part of a church that stewards money so well. There's so much accountability built in. Literally, uh, there are not many financial decisions I get to make. I have to, I've got a local presbytery council full of elders and pastors that lead us and guide us in these decisions. And then we've got an oversight board full of uh, four different pastors from churches around the country that are overseeing us as well. Then we have an outside accountant who does all of our financial work. So we want to do the best thing we could possibly do with God's money, don't you think? I mean, you guys work so hard and you work so, so many hours and do so much to come in and write a check and give your tithe and your offering to the church. I think you should be proud of where the money is going, don't you? I mean, if I was just coming, I would want that to be poss- possible that the money was going to the right stuff and those kind of things. So we'll show you a financial report here in a couple of weeks, and um, I'm excited to share it with you. But thank you for your giving, because so much has been accomplished, and there's so much more to do. Aren't you excited for what God has for us in the future? <laughs> it always gets a little quiet when you talk about money, but it's all good. It's all good. You've got to have those money talks every now and then. You've got to have those times at the table as a family sometimes. You just sit down, and you just like... Let's talk money. And then you like you have those times where you just leave the table and you forget the checkbook and you just uh, talk other things that are more important. It happens. Acts chapter 10. It's 12:11. So if you're timing me, if you're like the preacher preached this long today, you can start timing me right now. 12:11. Acts chapter 10 and verse 13. We're going to read through verses from verses 13 through 15. The Bible says, And there came a voice to him. Peter has been hanging out at a friend's house. They're getting ready to eat a meal. They've been preparing the meal. And evidently the meal has taken some time to prepare because the Bible tells us in the verses earlier that Peter's waited so long he falls into a trance. Literally, he begins to, he falls asleep and the Lord begins to give him a vision. And this is what God says to him in the vision. And there came a voice to him, and he said this, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time and said, Listen, what God has made clean, do not call common. I love this. Because this is a prophetic picture of the Gentiles who were not a part of of the good news and gospel of Jesus at that point. And God was sending Peter to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. 
And so Peter was a man who would recognize that there are certain foods that are off limits to him. And through this vision, God was showing him, Peter, not only have I, not only have I gotten rid of all the dietary laws, thank you, Jesus, because I'm going to eat some bacon this afternoon. Not only have I gotten rid of all the, I just heard, I heard a report that America's like bacon reserves are at an all-time low. We, let's just pray right now for a miracle. That's upsetting. But anyhow, all the dietary laws were gone. But more than that, he said, he said not only can, can you eat bacon, but you can go to the Gentiles. Because there was a time when the Jewish people were forbidden to go to the Gentiles. But now Jesus has said, let's open the door and let's let everybody in. Are you thankful that Jesus has allowed us to come in? Come on, us Gentile people from other nations, from other places that can now know the gospel. And I love it. He says, Peter, never call something that I have made clean common. Church, you are uncommon. You are not normal. You're like, my psychiatrist told me that a long time ago. But I'm telling you again, <laughs> you are not normal. Peter would know this, and he would even write this, and he would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, listen to what he writes. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you. He called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Is there anybody in this room today thankful for the mercy of God? Thankful to be a child of God? Thankful, come on, to be a part of God's kingdom? If that's you, just make a little bit of noise. Come on, we are thankful, Jesus, to be a part of your kingdom. Hallelujah. Thank you for your mercy. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. We pray that over these next few moments, you would speak a clear word to us. Teach us what it means to be uncommon. Teach us what it means to be a misfit. Teach us what it means to be in this world, but not of it. Teach us how to lead our families, how to be the type of person other people can follow. Teach us, Jesus, your way, your truth, your life. In your name we pray, and everybody said amen. For the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Just Like Jesus, and today I want to start a new one, and I want to start this series out with a, ser a sermon called Uncommon Leader. The series is called Uncommon. We're going to talk about different things about being a believer that make us uncommon. Well, I believe, I believe one of the opportunities that Jesus gives us as we follow him uh, is not only to just be a person that follows him, but we might be the type of people other people would want to follow as well. In other words, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, Paul the Apostle writes these incredible words that really just wrecked me the moment I heard them when he said this. He said, "Be uh, follow me, he said, as I follow Christ. He says, be ye imitators of me as I imitate Christ. This is a powerful portion of Scripture because what I've been teaching to you over the past few weeks is that we should desire and long to be just like Jesus. And not only desire and long to be just like Jesus for ourselves, but we should desire this so that other people would be able to follow us. And I want to be able to make this statement, imitate me as I imitate Christ, not just to the church, but I want to be able to make this statement as a father. Come on, I want to be able to look at my kids and say, follow me as I follow Jesus. I want to be able to look at my wife and say, follow me, imitate me as I follow Christ. I want to be able to look at the people who look to me as an example and say to them, follow me 
as I follow Christ. I want my life to point to Jesus. Does anybody else want that? And so it should be our desire that our lives would point people to Jesus. And Paul, who is not perfect by any means, he never claims to be perfect, but he does say, follow me as I follow Christ. Literally what has happened in Paul's life has been the most incredible conversion experience you could imagine. Paul was the artist formerly known as Saul. He, you get that if you're a Prince fan, but he, he used to be a murderer of Christian people. He was 100% against the Christian faith. And then God meets him and he saves him and he rescues him from this life. Paul, Paul at that point in his life when he saw he's carrying documents that were going to put Christians in prison, letters that were gonna put Christians in prison. And God so radically saves him that Paul stops delivering letters of imprisonment for Christian and begins to write letters of freedom for believers. This is what God can do, come on, in somebody's life. And so God miraculously saves Paul. He begins this journey following Jesus. And he says, be an imitator of me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. I wanna be the type of leader people can follow. As we talked over the past few weeks about just like Jesus, we talked about what it meant to really lead ourselves, to get our life personally under control, to begin to follow Jesus personally, because we cannot really lead other people until we have learned how to lead ourselves. The Bible tells us very quickly that it's not even good to put a person in charge of God's house if they cannot rule and control their own house. It's not a safe thing, because if I can't lead me, then what makes me think I can possibly lead you? And so we've talked about really leading ourselves. And I want to talk to you over these next couple weeks. I don't know how long this is going to last because you guys know how I am. I don't know if this series is going to last three weeks, four weeks, or the next three months. I don't know what's going to happen here. But the thing I do know is God has called us to be uncommon in our leadership. God has called us to be different from the world in the way we lead our families, the way we lead people, the way we parent, the way we talk to people, the way we interact with people. He's called us to be uncommon employees. He's called us to be uncommon in everything we do. It doesn't matter if you feel like you have the most common job. You be uncommon in the most common job, and you watch God do miracles. Just ask David, who had the most common job that you could possibly imagine, shepherding sheep. And God uses that uncommon attitude that David had to bring him into a place of promotion and a place of prominence that he never could have dreamed of because he had the right attitude. He had the right attitude. He was uncommon as a shepherd. He did. He did. And a lot of people are looking for the next thing when God's just trying to get you to steward well the, the current thing that he's put in your hands. A new job most of the time doesn't fix you if you take the old you into the new job. New house won't fix you if it's the same you. So you got to lead yourself to begin to lead others. And I just wanted to show you over the next little bit about some ways I think Paul was so inspirational as a leader. Paul was such an easy person to follow. He's the type of person, I look at his life and I say, that's the type of guy I want to follow. I don't know if you've ever, um, if you like sports or you've ever, you know, you've ever gotten into sports enough to look at coaches and players and you think, man, I'd love to play for that coach. I'd love to be on that team and play with that player. 
And that's the thing I'm talking about this morning is being the type of person that people want to be around. People want to follow. People want to look at your example. People want to follow your life. Not that you're perfect. Even Paul himself wasn't perfect, but that you're going somewhere. Because when Jesus came and he spoke to the disciples as he was calling them, it's just such an amazing thing, listen, that they would drop everything they were doing to follow Jesus. He would, he would come to them and ask them to drop their businesses, to stop, doing their, to stop doing the thing that is bringing income into their house and follow him. And they were willing to drop everything to follow after Jesus. Why? Because Jesus spoke to more than what they were doing. Jesus spoke to their destiny. Jesus spoke to who they were. Jesus spoke to the possibility of their life. He said, I want to take you from being a fisher of, of, of fish to being a fisher of men. And something sparked on the inside of Peter. And he said, that's what I was created for. I might do, be doing something that kind of is in resemblance to what I I was created to do, but God has a higher purpose for me. I don't know if you've ever met anybody and in their previous walk of life, they were doing something and you thought, man, if they could ever get saved, God could use that tenacity. God could use that ability for his glory and for his kingdom. I've watched people who were doing the craziest stuff before they got saved and then they got saved and they just did the same thing. They just now do it for the Lord. Listen, I've met people who sell drugs, who have sold drugs. They've gotten saved. And now they're as intense about the gospel as they were about drugs. They're on the same street corners. They just got different material in their hand. I'm telling you, this morning, God, he wants to turn that around. He wants to make you, he wants to make you a leader. He wants to do it. And so, Paul, here he is leading. And I just want to show you a few things that I see in his life. The first thing I see about Paul is that Paul was constantly making people feel like he was one of them. Like he was one of them. Paul, who's got this incredible call of God on his life, he is, he is looked at by people all across that, that world at that time as the man when it comes to Christianity. I mean, people are being raised from the dead. Sick people are being healed. Eyes are blinded. Eyes are being opened. Deaf ears are being opened. I mean, the guy is doing incredible, incredible work for God's glory. But Paul was constantly making people feel like he's just one of us. There's nothing any different about Paul than there is about us. Paul's like us. And Paul would say stuff like this that would just kind of probably shock people that were maybe hearing him for the first time because maybe they heard about Paul's stories and they're like, my gosh, he's got to like just kind of float in on a cloud and, you know, he's got to just be different and, and all of this stuff. And Paul would come in in Romans 7, he's writing a letter and he, he tells the people, he said, I don't understand who I am sometimes. I don't get myself. Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, he says, I really don't understand myself. I'm like, thank you, Paul. <laughs> Have you ever felt that way? Like, I don't even get me. It's, I don't get everything out, but my gosh, I don't even get me sometimes. And Paul says, I don't understand myself. What a relief to know that the greatest apostle you could possibly imagine doesn't understand himself just like we don't understand ourselves sometimes. And he says to him, he says, guys, listen, sometimes I want to do what's right and I, I do what's wrong. Sometimes, sometimes I, I don't do the things I should do. And the things I should do, those are the very things that I, I don't do. And this happens in my life. I love it because Paul was transparent. If you're really going to lead people, you've got to be transparent. You, you've got to make sure that the people that are following you know that you're just like them. 
you're one of them. You gotta make sure that your kids know that you made some mistakes too. That you didn't make it out of high school unscathed. That you acted like an idiot a little bit in college. That you, your kids need to know your mistakes. And guess what? Not just the mistakes you made in the past, but the mistakes you make while you're parenting them now. You can't act like you're perfect. You can't act like you lost your cool and it's cool because you're the dad. I can lose my cool, but you keep your cool. Like we cannot act like we are different from them in the sense that we are just like them. We're human beings too. And so when we make mistakes, the most transparent thing we could possibly do is say, I made a mistake. I messed up. I blew it and apologize. One of the things that made me love my dad and just want to do anything for my dad was when he made a mistake, he was so quick to let us know he blew it. So quick, even when it came to disciplining us. I remember when my dad spanked us, spanked us all one time and he felt like he had done it out of anger and done it too hard. And he comes in our room that night and he says, guys, I want you to know what I did today was not okay. The way I acted today was not okay. That didn't make me think, wow, you're, you're a real loser. <laughs> that made me think, my gosh. If he's however old he was at that time and he still makes mistakes and he's willing to admit his mistakes and maybe I'm not as crazy as I think I am and maybe I can actually talk to him about what I'm going through. He was transparent. But he wasn't just transparent. He was also striving for more he didn't just settle for the fact that you know i'm just a failure you know nothing's ever going to change i i want to do the right thing but i can't do the right thing so i guess i might as well just kind of suck it up and just leave it here and maybe that's as good as it's going to get but no he he pressed for more he was always demanding the best out of himself and out of people in romans chapter 7 where he says the thing i don't do that's the thing, I, the thing I don't want to do. That's the thing I do. And the thing I do want to do, that's the thing I don't do. He says this. He goes on to say in Romans 7, verse, uh, around verse 25, he says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? He says, Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So not only does he say, Hey, I'm transparent. Here, here I am. I'm a mess. But there's an answer for my mess. Like there's a solution to the problems that I'm facing. There's a solution to my craziness. There's a solution to the fact that I don't do the things I should do. And it's not in me. Are, are you thankful that the answer is not in you? It's not you. I am so grateful that the answer is not me. The answer, he says, it's Jesus Christ. He says, who's going to deliver me from the stuff I'm doing that I don't want to do? Jesus Christ is the one who's going to make it all right. Aren't you thankful, come on, that Jesus Christ is the one making it all right. So he says, I'm not who I should be, but I'm not who I used to be. And somebody like that, I can follow you. Because if you're just stuck in stupid, like my dad says all the time, and you're not going anywhere because you're like, I'm a failure, I messed up, I might as well just sit in right here and just deal with it. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? I guess this is just all, the way it's always going to be. If you're like that, then you're stuck, and I can't follow you because you're stuck. You're not going anywhere. But I also cannot follow you if you think you've arrived. I can't deal with you. You think you got it all together? You think you haven't made any mistakes? You think you're perfect? You think you have arrived? I can't follow you anywhere because you're already at the destination. 
So if you're stuck, I can't follow you. But if you think you've arrived, I can't follow you either. This is the type of man I can follow. Listen to what he says. He says this in Romans. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. What's he say? But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus has first possessed me. Jesus didn't save me to leave me the way I am. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. I forget the past and I look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us all. Let me tell you something today. I don't care what your mistake was. Jesus is calling you forward. He is not calling you backward. Jesus never asks us to look backward. Matter of fact, when the Bible says put on the whole armor of God, every single piece of armor we put on covers the front. There's nothing to cover our back because we're not going backwards. We are constantly in the kingdom of God. Come on. I'm moving forward. I'm not looking back. I'm pressing ahead. Jesus never calls us and comes to us and says, hey, I want you to look back over your past. You look at us such a miserable failure you are. He's constantly speaking to our future and our potential. And that's what the Apostle Paul was doing. So he would speak to the future of people by making them feel like they weren't alone. Living a transparent life, but also saying you can come up higher. Don't stay here. Come up higher. That type of person people can follow. Follow willingly. Follow voluntarily. You don't have to be herded like an animal. You just go. I watch these cows. I live, um, I live off of Shadden and, and Gray, and they're, sometimes when a churn turn up, the road, I can't remember what it is. It's right across from that little church there. Maybe that is Shadden. I don't know. Um, I live up that road. But sometimes right off the road, there's this guy. He gets up pretty early, and he's taking this four-wheeler, and he's pushing these cows across the road. And they just kind of mindlessly go to the other side of the road because if they don't, I guess he's going to run them over with the four-wheeler. I don't know what would happen if one just was like, nope, not today. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. So... I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not cattle. I don't, I, don't, I don't do well to being poked and prodded. Don't poke me. Matter of fact, that's why I got off Facebook. I got sick of being poked by weirdos on Facebook. Don't poke me. Don't prod me. Don't push me. Don't, no, lovingly lead me. Lovingly lead me. Tell me I'm, tell me I'm not all I could be. But don't tell me I'm a failure. Tell me you, you could be so much more. You're living, you're living below the place that God has intended for you. Don't tell me I can't make it. Don't tell me I've fallen down too many times. Don't tell me that, you know, I've made so many mistakes. God could never use me. Don't tell me that my situation is unredeemable. There is not a situation that is unredeemable. Come on. Don't talk to me like that. Don't talk to your family like that. Don't talk about people like that. Don't look around you and look at situations and say, oh, they should just give up. Oh, they should just throw it in. Oh, they should just walk away. No, don't look at people like that. Constantly speak to the future, the destiny, the purpose that God has. Because, if listen, I told you this a while ago, and I'll keep saying it for the rest of my life. If a man died, was buried for three days, and got out of a grave and went into heaven, anything's possible. Anything is possible. 
God can do anything in any situation. Another thing I noticed is that Paul was constantly making people feel like they mattered, like they belonged, and like they were making a difference in his life. If people are going to follow us, church, we have to be, we have to, first of all, we have to be approachable. I've watched, I watched a lot of churches grow and get to certain sizes, and then like leaders in the church and pastors of the church, they just become unapproachable. Like, like the church is, is, is so big, and the, and the pastor comes like out from behind the stage, you know, and he peers, and he makes this speech, this 30-minute speech, and then he disappears from behind the stage, and you never see him interacting with people. I tell people all the time, if your pastor doesn't smell like sheep, you need to run in the other direction because he's unapproachable. And the one thing that Paul does is he says, remember he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. One of the things he's imitating about Christ is the approachableness of Jesus. Jesus wasn't off limits to people. He didn't have like an entourage around him. Like you can't get to me. Celebrity is one of the most damaging things to the human psyche. It makes you think you're a bigger deal than you really are. And you get an entourage and you start to walk around with security guards and, and, and people just kind of protecting you. And, and you might not ever get to the level where you're a celebrity, but sometimes you do the very same thing. You use other things to block you off from the rest of the world. Like you're unapproachable. We can't get at you. Nobody has your cell phone number. Nobody knows where you live. Nobody has your email address. Nobody can contact you. Everything you have, every bit of social media you got is locked down. It's locked down. You are on lock. You can't follow me. You're not good enough to follow me. If you're a locked page, I don't follow you anyway. So who cares? You just told me I I can't get in unless I request. You think I want to look at your pictures that bad? Your tweets aren't that important. Locked. What? Why? (laughs) It's a joke. Lighten up. Jeez Louise. (laughs) Chill out. So many blocked profiles in here. Everybody's like, should I unlock it right now? Should I like, is he judging me at this very moment? (laughs) Just take a chill pill. Good gravy. Joke. Just approachable. I pray that as a church, as we grow, we never become an unapproachable church. You know, a lot of times when churches grow, it becomes a lot about programs and ministries and all of these things. But man, let's just be a house. Can we just be a home where people, when they walk in the door, they just feel like, I just showed up at grandma's house on Thanksgiving. But it doesn't smell as bad. (laughs) Anyhow, um, You've been to some smelly houses, haven't you? Okay, just, maybe it's just me. I'm not saying my grandma's house smelled. It didn't, it didn't. I'm just saying, some grandma's houses I've been in, I'm just like digging a ditch so bad right now. Like, just, just get in your notes. Get in your notes. That's not even, I'm not even looking over here because my grandma sits over here and I don't even know. Is she here? There she is. There she is. She's looking at me even now. Mamma, I wasn't talking about you. I wasn't. Great grandmas, not actual grandmas. It's great. I was thinking great grandmas. You're going to get a really good Christmas present and birthday. 
But he was. He was. You guys are messing me up. He said he was constantly making sure people felt like they mattered, they belonged, they were making a difference. He was celebrating constantly the success of other people. People will not follow you if you don't celebrate their successes. If you, if you make following you all about you, it's going to be really hard for people to follow you. Paul was all about celebrating. And almost in every letter he wrote, he was giving a shout out to somebody. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 7, he said, hey guys, you learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. Could you imagine how Epaphras felt just getting that little shout out from Paul? And I love that Paul, if you look, if you just go through it, if you just glance at it, you'll miss it. But Paul calls him our beloved co-worker. Paul wasn't like, he's my, he's my student in the faith and he's growing up and he's progressing quite well and he's got a few more classes to go. But as his mentor, as his father in the faith, I feel that he is doing, no, he just said my co-worker. And this, this idea that you are a leader because of your title is messing the world up. People don't follow titles. They follow influence. You could, have, you, could, you could have president beside your name, and nobody will follow you because you have no influence. You can have vice president. You can have CEO. You can have professor you can have whatever your title is beside of your name and it doesn't matter it might give you some level of authority but it doesn't mean people are following you most people that call themselves leaders aren't leaders at all because if you look behind them nobody's following them all they're doing is taking a walk you're not leading anybody because people don't follow titles they follow influence how are you influencing my life when i'm around you what people will follow is your influence if you influence me for the better, for good, when I'm around you, I'll follow you. You don't have to be over me. You don't, have, you don't have to have a position that says I should follow you. If you just influence me for good, then I will follow you and I will listen to you. There are people in this church that have no title. They're not a pastor. They're not an elder. But I will listen to them because they have had influence on my life in that they have cared for me. They have acted like I value, I add value to their life and their situation. And because of that, we have this relationship. And this is what Paul is teaching us. He's teaching us how to lead out of relationship, not through titles. The church is messed up because we just, we have this title mentality. We think that if I get this title in church or if I get this title in my job or if I get this title in my career, then everything's going to be fine with me and everything's going to work out for me. But you are not your title. You are not your title. You are not your job description. You are so much more than that. I'm more than a pastor. There's more to me than meets the eye. I'm more than a pastor. I'm more than that. I might not do this my whole life. God might call me to do something else. God might pull me right out of this in the next few years, and I find myself doing something else. I find myself in the business world. I find myself doing any. I don't know what God is going to do because I am not defining my life by the fact that I've got a microphone in my hand right now, and I'm standing on this stage. This is not all that I am. And your job title is not all that you are. You are more 
than your title. You are more than your position. You are a human being that God designed with purpose that goes beyond a title, that goes beyond a job, that goes beyond your degree, that goes beyond your family circumstance. God has something so beautiful for you. If you would recognize everything that he has for you. I heard T.D. Jakes talk about this one time. He was, they were asking him, they were saying, aren't you a pastor? Because, because it doesn't seem like you're just a pastor. How do, you, how, do you, how do you do so many different things so successfully? T.D. Jakes looked back at him and he said, he said, well, most people put a period where God puts a comma. I, that man... It's not fair, but whatever. He said, most people put a period where God puts a comma. And he said, let me tell you what. He said, I was born with a gift to communicate. He said, sometimes I do it as a pastor. Sometimes I do it as a movie director. Sometimes I do it as a writer. Sometimes I do it in music. Sometimes I do it through drama. Sometimes there are so many different aspects of my ability to communicate. So if you limit me based on the title I have, then you're missing out on who I am. And then I'm missing out on who I am. He said, my job is to, for the rest of my life, discover how much God has put in me. That's what God is calling us to do. And that's why we have to lead people the right way because it is our job to help people discover how much God has put into them. You're more than you think you are. You say, well, I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just a mom. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Are you just a stay-at-home mom? No, you, you are actively participating in raising the next generation. And how well you do determines how well our society goes. I'm just a, I'm just a dad. Like, all I do is just I just have some kids and I work a job and it's not a big deal. I'm just a dad. Are you kidding me? The reason most men are in prison today is because they didn't have a dad. You are effectively shifting and changing society by your presence or absence. I'm not, you're never just anything. I'm just a teacher. No, you're not just a teacher. You're more than that. You are impacting the way the next generation thinks about the world, about culture, about life, about family. You are more than you think you are. You're uncommon. I just, I just am a clerk at Walmart. No, you're more than that. People that interact with, listen, I've had people checking me out at Walmart or Walgreens or wherever who have literally changed the outcome of my day by the way they talked to me and treated me. Are you hearing me? I'm, I'm, ju I'm just a mechanic. No, you're not just a mechanic. We are we are constantly depending on you to make sure our cars do not fall apart on the highway and people do not die at massive rates because you are important. You matter. Like you're literally holding my car together. I can't change my oil. <laughs> you're not just anything. You're not just anything. Paul was constantly making people feel like they mattered. Listen, he did it to such a degree. Listen to what happens in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verses 36 through 38. Paul is getting ready to leave a group of people he's been pastoring and loving. And this is what happens. It says, Paul had finished speaking. 
He knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced and kissed him. This is what the Bible says. What grieved them most was the statement he had made that they would never see his face again. What grieved them most was that Paul had said, you're not going to see my face again. They were broken because of that. That wrecked them. I'm not going to see your face anymore. They could care less if they ever heard him preach again, ever heard him teach again. If you ever laid hands on anybody again. They were going to miss the fact that they were never going to see his face again. I wonder if that scripture was written about us and our family was writing it. If they would write it a different way. If they would say they rejoiced because dad called and he said it's going to be a late night and he wouldn't be home for dinner. Or they were happy because mom went on a vacation and left the family. Those words sound strange, but how often in our own lives, in our own homes, and in our own families, do people rejoice because we didn't show up? Or give thanks because we weren't there? I don't want to be the type of person that people get happy when they walk away. My gosh, I'm, I'm glad they're leaving. So weird. I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that it impacts people. If they were never to see me again or never to interact with me again, it would, it would break their heart because of how I've treated them. Paul, one time he sends Timothy in to a group of people and he says, I'm sending him to you because there's nobody else on the planet that cares about you as much as I care about you like Timothy does. God sent you into that job because there's nobody else He can trust to love people the way you'll love people on that job. And you're just punching a time clock and just hoping you can get out and you're no different than anybody else. That's not why God sent you there. God sent you there to be a beam, a light bulb, a, a city on a hill, salt that would impact people. That's why you're there. Paul was such a great leader. Paul would focus on purpose because meaning invites commitment. You give meaning to the people around you Man, they want to stay committed. You know, you can come to the church and, and uh, just attend and that type of thing, and that's fine, and I, I hope you, you keep coming. But I've got to tell you, you'll really never find meaning here until you serve here. You won't because commit, you're really not committed to, to anything you, you don't serve. 
Church is the easiest place to criticize because it's one of the only places we get so much from and put so little into. It's true. I, I grew up in this church, so I, I know. I know. I, I've always, from the time I was a kid, I've always gotten more than I gave. And it becomes an easy target. Because it's, it's easier to criticize something you haven't invested into. That's why if you talk about some mama's kid, she will rise up on you quicker than you could ever imagine. She's like, who, what'd you say about my kid? Were you there when I almost died when I was having that baby? Were you there when he was three years old and wasn't going to bed at night and I was up all night with him feeding him? Were you there when he was five years old and he didn't know how to read and he didn't know his ABCs and every day he came home from school and teachers thought he was crazy and they didn't think he was going to be able to go through school and I'm sitting at home teaching him the ABCs. Were you there? Were you there when he was 12 years old and he fell and broke his arm and came crying and they had to do surgery on his... Were you there when that happened? Were you there when she was 15 years old and came home and told me she was pregnant? Were you there? So it's easy for you to criticize because you didn't raise them. You didn't invest in them. But you can't criticize something you poured your life into. So don't come talking to me about how bad the church is when you ain't putting nothing in. That's why you have no right to criticize somebody else's marriage. You're not the one going home every day sacrificing trying to make that thing work. They're the ones putting the work in. <laughs> I didn't mean for that to go there, but my goodness, it's a good point. I might need to get this tape because that's not in my notes. I might need to write that down because it's a good point. You'll only be committed to what you sacrifice for. And Paul was an example of constant sacrifice for the kingdom. That's why he was so committed. He wasn't committed because he could perform miracles. He wasn't committed because he was famous among church leaders. He was committed because he had sacrificed. He had sacrificed. So he's focused on purpose. I love, I love, I love this about Paul too. Was he was focused on his purpose. Not somebody else's purpose. You guys can go ahead and play. It'll help me close. It's 12.50. <laughs> He was focused on his purpose. There was another guy, a contemporary of his, named Peter, who we talked about at the beginning. We talked a little bit about during Just Like Jesus. And Peter was an incredible preacher. Incredible preacher. Peter stood up the day of Pentecost, preaches a message. If you read it, it's, it's not that complicated. It's just basically repent. 3,000 people get saved. This guy's anointed to open his mouth and declare the gospel. Could you imagine if Paul comes along and Paul tries to live out Peter's purpose in his own life? Well, Peter seems, that seems to, to really work well and people seem to really like that thing Peter does, so I'm going to try to be a preacher too. Paul recognized something very early on. Paul was not a good preacher. But Paul was a good writer. 
And if Paul would have tried to live out Peter's purpose, we wouldn't have verses like, I'm fully persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God. No height, no depth, no powers, no principalities. Nothing can separate it. We wouldn't have Romans. Could you imagine Christianity without the book of Romans? Could you imagine Christianity just without Romans chapter 8? That's what would have happened if Paul would have tried to live out his purpose through Peter. But I, I heard Stephen Furtick say something like this one time. He said, I will not miss my potential trying to live someone else's purpose. So Paul was focused on purpose, but he was focused on his purpose. What God had called him to do. That's powerful. Another thing I noticed about Paul, I got so much I need to get through. He would lean into tough issues with hope. If you want people to follow you, you cannot ignore the tough issues. You, you cannot just be like, oh, that building's not on fire. <laughs> that's not happening. You can't just ignore the stuff that's happening. You have to approach those things. You have to lean into them, but with optimism. Because I love the way Paul would write this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. He, says, he would say it like this. He'd say, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. I love that perspective. I can follow somebody like that. They're not ignoring the reality, but they're saying, hey, this is real, but Jesus is alive. This is real. We've been hit, but we're not knocked out. We might have been pushed around, but we're not totally destroyed. They might be persecuting us, but God has not abandoned us. I love this, I love, I can follow you, I can follow you, I can follow you. But if it's always, man, we're just, it's over. I can't. And I can't follow a guy who's like, isn't it so great? Like, bro, it's not great right now. Can you just chill out? Just put your juicer down, stop drinking so much juice. You're starting to look like juice. You're weird looking. You're starting to look like a carrot guy. Like, stop. Yay, hey, hey. It's not always like that. There's a season for everything. There's a time to mourn. There's a time. But we do it with hope. We do it with hope. And then I love that he lived fully persuaded. People do not commit to drifters. Nobody, nobody wants to commit to a drifter. Nobody wants, to, nobody wants to get into a huddle during a timeout with a coach, and he's like, guys, I was thinking about running this play, but I don't know if it'll work. And we're like, coach, we have 30 seconds to get this together. He's like, okay, guys, like, should we run this or should we run that? I'm not really sure, but I, go get them. Just go. Have fun. That's not, fun is not a strategy. Go get them is not a strategy. And the Bible tells us in 1 Kings, I believe it's verse 18, chapter 18, Elijah says there, he says, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people stayed silent. Even when you're not saying anything, you're saying something. Stop wavering. James 1 and 8 says this. It says, a double-minded person 
is unstable in all of his way. Just make a decision. Stop living in limbo. Like stop like every three months. Like I think I'm going to sell the house and move. Maybe not. I think I'm going to, I think, stop. Do something. Like make a decision and live fully persuaded. I heard somebody say recently that the, the pain of falling short, the pain of falling short is greater, is, is not as great. I'm sorry. The pain of falling short is not as great of, as the pain of stopping short. Do you hear that? It'd be better for you to try and fail, that's what he's saying, than to not try at all. So stop living in indecision. Joshua said, choose this day who you're going to serve. Either serve God or serve someone else. But stop living in limbo. Make up your mind. Stop living like I'm not sure about this marriage. Either commit or walk away. But stop leaving all of us, your family, your friends, your kids in limbo. Somebody make a decision and stick with it. Live fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. I'm going to go out, and it's going to be really, really bad, or it's going to be really, really good, but it's not going to be average. It's not going to be in between. It's not going to be so-so. It's not going to be mediocre. I told my dad when I first took the church, I said, you might want to hang really close because it's either going to go up in flames or it's going to grow a whole lot. Thank God it didn't go up in flames. And it grew a whole lot. But I told him, I cannot deal with just settling. I'm not here to maintain until Jesus comes. I'm here to go into all the world until Jesus comes. Come on, if anybody in here is like, I need to make a move, just stand up on your feet. Make a decision. Make a decision. Go, go, go. Go. Stop waiting, stop waiting, stop waiting. Go. Go, 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 try it. You don't know, try it. Give God a chance. Nobody's ever done anything great doing it half-heartedly. If you look at every person that's successful right now, they, most of them lost everything before they experienced that because they made a decision, I'm fully persuaded. I'm full, I've seen people, I have seen people get fully persuaded about the silliest stuff. Yeah. And you're like, that's, that's just crazy, man. You're going to go all in on that? Yes. Okay. Go for it. And sometimes they come back around, they're like, that was epic. I was like, as in good, bad, failure, total, fell on my face, blew it a hundred times. You know how many good things I learned during that? You learn more by failure than you do by success anyway. Most people are, are, don't have enough knowledge because they've never failed in anything. They've only done stuff that's easy. They've only tried what's easy. You got you to just make a decision and go. Go. Live fully persuaded. Father, in Jesus' name, that's enough. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today, to hear you speak to us. I ask God that there's anyone in here who's wavering today, that today would be a day of decision. 
Today would be a day of decision. You don't get tomorrow and you cannot keep living in yesterday. Make a decision today. Go for God. Start that thing he's told you to do. Just try, try, try. Get, just step out. Peter, it's like, I don't know if it's the smart thing or not, but Jesus, if you want me to walk on this water, tell me to come. And when he says come, you better go. There's a window, there's a season that's open for you right now where God is telling you to go and you need to go. I'm speaking prophetically to somebody right now. There's a season, it's a window, it's a door of opportunity. It's a, it's a time and space where God's supernatural favor is poured out on this moment, on that thing he spoke to you and you need to do it now. Stop waiting, stop waiting. It's not gonna all come together before it happens. It's got to start with you. It's got to start with faith. It's gonna feel like walking on water, but it's gonna ultimately be the greatest victory of your life. Just go, just go. If you're here today, and you just want in February. It's not January. It's not time for a New Year's resolution. But maybe you failed at all your other New Year's resolutions and you want to start over first Sunday in February. If we just would say today, just maybe we could throw our hands up in the air and just make a commitment to God that, God, we're going to go for you in 2017. We're going to surrender all. We're not going to hold anything back. This is our year, God, to have a breakthrough in our life. This is our year to have a breakthrough in our family. This is our year to have breakthroughs in our relationship. This is our year to have breakthroughs in our finances, on our jobs. This is our year for breakthrough. You never break through anything unless you press through it. That's why Paul said, I forget the past and I press forward. So this year we press into who you are and we surrender all. Can we sing that just for a moment? Sing that. Come on, from your heart, sing that to the Lord. Not just some cliche statement, but sing it. Listen, my best, my best, my all. Why? Because you deserve, <laughs> you deserve my everything. My life, my soul. Jesus, Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word today. I pray that we would see so much fruit that this message, that the seed of your word would take, take root and not be stolen, or, but that we would water this and that, would see, that we would see fruit in our life. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, I wonder if you think the best of your life is still in front of you. If you put your hands together and just thank Jesus. He's not finished with you. 
It's not over yet. Amen. Amen. Well, we love you so much. Thank you for being here today. We're so grateful for you coming. If you're visiting with us, make sure you take that card they gave you and stop by the hub. There's also some food. There's like wings and chips and salsa and cookies and stuff that you can go grab out here. Uh, help support the ladies' ministry. They do a lot of incredible work throughout the year. And so just uh, stop by there. And how many of you guys are pulling for the Patriots? Just make some noise if you're a Patriots fan. Any Falcons fans in the building? You want Atlanta to win? Is hashtag not my Super Bowl? Because the Cowboys aren't in it, so I don't care. All right, we love you. Enjoy your Sunday. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Have fun. Pray for Lady Gaga. <laughs>